Hello and welcome back to the Reptile Living Room uh, CRBE series. It's the Canadian Reptile Breeders Expo series. Now, uh, I had the really excellent, excellent opportunity to uh, talk with the people and crew at Reptilia Zoo up there in Canada. And uh, I was actually invited out to uh, see in Duna the Niagara Crocodile there. But without further ado, uh, let us get us our sponsors, uh, HerpHouseMag.com. That's her Pediculture House E-Zine. $10 a subscription, $2 single issue, 100% guaranteed satisfaction on the single issues. If you're not satisfied, we refund your money within 48 hours. So please do stop by at herpalsmag.com and uh, do get a subscription, grab a single issue. You won't be disappointed. So here we go, uh, Reptilia Zoo. Okay, so we're here at uh, Reptilia Zoo. We were invited out by uh, Cheryl, one of the head keepers here via email, uh, to celebrate... Uh, and I'm going to screw up his name, and he's going to eat me for it. Induna. Induna. The Nile crocodile was uh, gaping at me earlier and showing me his lovely teeth and dental work. <clears throat> so, uh, being that I was up here at CRBE this week, which is Induna's uh, birthday is next week, uh, we got to have a very extensive tour behind the scenes with the keepers here. Um, I guess we'll start with Cheryl. Um, what got you into reptiles in the first place, Cheryl? always loved them. Grew up finding them in the fields and the like, and unfortunately my parents didn't think it was a very good idea to have any. I grew up on a farm, so they figured I had enough animals, so playing with them for the first big chunk of my life was all I got, but uh, once, pretty much once I got to university, I immediately went into animal withdrawal because I didn't have any of those farm animals around anymore, so it only took about a month before I got my first snake, kind of under in the bed in the dorm room type of deal. And from that, my passion for them just went a little bit nuts. I started reading care sheets, and then that wasn't enough. So I started going on forums, and that wasn't enough. So I started reading textbooks, and just up and up and up. And all this time, I was going through doing my undergrad in neuroscience. And that was fun and all, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it once I had my degree. So I had this passion for the animals. It was a research-based degree, so I figured maybe I could match the two together somehow. And I started volunteering actually at Reptilia in the beginning, and from there it just sort of blew up and expanded. Wow. Okay. And uh, next we're going to talk to Andre. Uh, Andre, how did you? Because you're you're actually one of my natives. You came you came up here from California, <laughs> San Diego, actually. Uh, I came up here for the warmth. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my story's a little shorter than Cheryl's. Uh, my parents wouldn't let me have a dog, so I ran outside and we had all the Swifts and racers and rattlesnakes and so I kind of started there and moved around a bit and just kept going with it. They, As I watched them as a kid they just did all kinds of really neat things behaviorally and there's so many different ones that it captured my kind of imagination and everything about them was just amazing. Went to school and just studied and studied loved it and then I guess I became an evangelical herpetologist and went out and felt the need to talk about it and teach and so I've been doing a fair bit of teaching and research. Eventually, I wound up here in sunny Canada. <laughs> awesome. And, and Lee, you're originally from South Africa. That's right. Okay. So how did you get into all this? Um, well, being South Africa, there's obviously a, a lot of reptiles down there as well. And uh, my brother actually got a pair of snakes when I was still uh, pretty young. And uh, I, I 
took on to them and was never really allowed to deal with them or anything like that and they never did really well it was a pair of house snakes and uh, my parents made him get rid of them because the snake wasn't eating and we just ended up collecting mice and hamsters and everything that was supposed to be the food source became pets <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it kind of snowballed and he ended up getting rid of them from there and uh, I pursued it but once I was uh, old enough to buy and keep my own animals my parents just bought me books said you can read as much as you want know what you want to do and when you're old enough to do buy your own animals and set them up properly you can get into it. And, and they, they supported me through it and uh, through my high school career I had about a hundred snakes at home um, from beauty snakes right up to rattlesnakes and things you had to keep them there uh, in South Africa. And then uh, my parents saw that I was so driven by reptiles that I got into a, a reptile zoo with Donald Stratum in South Africa and did uh, nine years training with him and uh, worked a lot of National Geographic's discovery. But uh, not only the reptiles, the passion, I think a lot of it uh, comes to a lot of us here at Reptilia is the drive to teach people and educate people. And um, I think that's where we go a lot into because we do phobia courses and help people get over those fears and phobias that they have by teaching them the right things, not all this stuff that they see on TV. And that's where my passion comes into it now. You know, and that's one of the biggest things is, um, you know, after the tour we were talking about, you know, the zoo and the facility itself. and you hear it amongst especially amongst our communities i'm sure you're all aware of you know about the quote-unquote roadside zoo you know and i did i did shoot some video here so you guys can uh so the audience can you know judge themselves but this is so far and beyond a roadside zoo i mean there's i've never seen any of those facilities shall we say with as much education i mean you guys got a child's play center where they can interact with turtles and things like that there's flash games out there where they can, you know, interact with the gaming. It's like tying the world of technology and reptiles together. And I don't think any zoo actually lets you get as close and personal with the animals yeah. as well. well you know, and granted, there's glass between you, but you know, I noticed that most of the zoos, there's like a three or four foot concrete wall. Then there's glass between you and the animals. Well, we also take them out. Uh, our zookeepers do shows all the time and they're fairly instructive shows as well. We have a full like curriculum-based program where we go to schools and we teach actual lessons wow. to the kids from ages from pre-kindergarten all the way up to university students and uh, PhDs. So wow. we have a pretty broad range of, uh, of outreach and education. Yeah, you know, and the biggest thing that struck me was when I went to the website um, after Cheryl had emailed me was the phobia course. How did that come about? What, I mean, Obviously, you wanted to get people over their fear of snakes, but was it just somebody's idea that, that came about? or? Well, the, the first one started, uh, we had a lady uh, named Andrea Gordon that was working for the Toronto Star, and uh, they were given a task. There was five of them within the, in the Toronto Star newspaper that were told to go out and face their fears, and Andrea's was a fear of snakes. And uh, she came to us asking us if she could do this article helping her get over her fear of snakes. And I did it uh, for four days with her, and it was two hours a day. She came in in the evenings, and she pretty much uh, jotted down everything she had gone through. And uh, that's where it started. And then um, Cheryl took it over, and uh, she got uh, putting it up and thought this was a great uh, um, program to have because there are so many people, and she sees a lot of it in the zoo. So people coming in, do you have spiders? I don't want to see them. Do you have snakes? Oh, I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of this. And those are the ones we target. As soon as they say that, we work with them. And it's not a come over here and just face it and get over it, right. that's not what it's about. It's taking their, themselves into consideration, helping them as calmly and gently through this as much as they can to make them feel more comfortable. So that's some how it all started. Yeah, some of them will never love reptiles, but the key is to 
help them get over sort of the irrational fear and help them to cope with it right. so that they kind of understand and they it's no longer just a hatred and a fear they can make informed decisions and they understand the fear is irrational yeah. and they learn mechanisms to cope with it yeah. well Cheryl's got a good story of a person that she helped yeah, there's sort of different levels of a phobia, of course, and the difference between maybe what they've sort of seen on TV and they think they're afraid of snakes versus a full-blown-out phobia. So generally, if it's a person who can already come into reptilian, knowing that it's a reptile zoo and they're snakes, they might be a little uncomfortable, but they don't have a full-blown phobia. And so usually those type of people, we can work them through that in the course of the afternoon that they're spending with us just by being exposed to seeing them in the zoo and having the chance to interact with them and learn and a bit about them, but there definitely are some cases where the fear is a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. One of the, the best cases that we had was with Anne, who had a cottage up in the Muskogas, uh, which is cottage country here in Canada, and she was all great and peachy until that first day when she was walking her dog and she happened to see one of our native garter snakes. And from that point on, she couldn't go back to the cottage and she was considering to sell the cottage because she was so terrified that she might possibly see one of them again. And so she had the real drive to get over this fear because she's saying this is crazy I love being at the cottage I don't want to sell my cottage but I just can't even go there anymore can't even think about it and now it's getting worse and worse because I'm always mulling it around in my head so with her we had to work for quite a bit of a longer period of time and just at her own pace. So we started basically just talking and discussing and busting myths and why uh, do snakes not blink and why do they move the way that they do and you know are they slimy or are they out to get you and just sort of explaining why they do what they do and why they look like what they look like and then starting to bring in some artifacts, things like skins and um, teeth, fangs, and rattles, and sort of going with that, and looking at some photos and some pictures of the animals, and just slowly getting more and more comfortable with those things, to the point where we could get in the zoo and see the animals behind the protective barrier of the glass, and then the point where we could open up doors and show that the snakes weren't lunging out or coming out after us, or mm-hmm. us uh, as zookeepers helping her actually touching and interacting with the animals so she could see how they behaved to the point where we were getting out things like rattlesnakes and cobras and showing their defensive mechanisms and how again they were just giving us warnings and telling us to please leave them alone and stay back but they weren't actively coming after us and keeping going with that for over the course of about four weeks time and she eventually ended up to the point where she could touch and feel a corn snake and a ball python fairly comfortably and on her own and uh, to the point where she was actually okay with the thought of seeing snakes and we've actually got feedback from her uh, up to a year later now where she says you know what you guys did this great, great thing for me, and you know, I'm still not going to love them, but <laughs> I'm still here. I come up to the cottage, I have a great time, and I even see you one every once in a while, but that's okay. <laughs> Very cool. Now, as far as <clears throat> the outreach and educational perspectives are concerned, I'm sure you guys are familiar with or heard of it the uh, down in the States, the rattlesnake roundups. Anything you guys. Um, would say to, I guess, help the American side of the uh, reptile community or family, as it were, what can we do to educate those individuals that are involved in roundups? You know, I think uh, one thing that's really important is just demonstrations, simultaneous demonstrations of free workshops where we show 
Number one, the importance of rattlesnakes in the community and in, in, in the ecology, how they control rodent pests, uh, and that we demonstrate without the sensationalism uh, just how reluctant they are to bite and how much they really just want to be left alone. And the more we can kind of turn it around and still provide an exciting, interesting thing where you can see the diversity of rattlesnakes and the diversity of wildlife they have there, see maybe some of the damage that's caused by human invasion and destruction or even some of the manner that they used to collect some of the rattlesnakes for the roundups. We can kind of turn it around to make it less of a damaging thing, but still provide that kind of excitement and learning and make it a really interesting event, then uh, maybe we can help win over some of the JCs and some of the other organizers of these events, right. as well as the local individuals. Uh, again, just like anywhere they do conservation work, you go to the third world and people are trying to survive, if you can show them that there's a value to the animals and that they don't just have to fear them, then you win them over. And so a lot of it just comes down to grassroots uh, proselytization, I suppose. Right, right. So I know everybody's got to have a favorite animal here at the zoo. So what is it, Cheryl? Ah, that's the worst question. I know. <laughs> I love asking it. I change this every day. So I'm fickle. Yeah, it's, there's, it's because they're all so different from each other. There's certain things about certain animals that are just fantastic. Like yeah. I love the American alligator just because they've demonstrated how intelligent they are. And just working with them and doing some of the training projects we've been doing is just crazy to see how well they pick up on those things. But at the same time, i got to love my monitor lizards. They're definitely one of my favorites. Just, mm -hmm. again, curious and active and investigative and always on the go. And But can't leave out cobras either, I don't think. But probably for the same reason, that sort of curiosity. Curiosity there, yeah. Their awareness and how they pay attention to what's going on. I think we all have sort of a fascination with, with reptile cognition and awareness. Uh, it's sort of a completely overlooked field, and they're amazing animals, and they have a lot more intelligence than we give them credit for. Definitely. And so, and also, you know, the more intelligent and interactive something is, the more you tend to kind of connect with it. Right, and right. So, you know, when you walk by and that lizard kind of turns to see what you're doing, or kind of follows you and watches you in the other exhibit. You, you know, know that happened with uh, Lou, um, the alligator. When I pulled out the camera, he moved away, but he kept his left eye on me the whole time. He kept, you know, stretching his... I, I watched his eyeball move back so he could actually look at me and see what I was doing to make sure if I was going to follow him or if I was going to leave him alone. So, yeah, that was... I caught that big time. I was like, okay. You see when that female Nile goes swimming by. You just see her gliding across the water. You don't hear anything. She's completely still as she glides. If you watch that eye just lock on and fall yeah. you, you, you never feel more like prey. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Lee? What's your, uh, what um, would be your favorites? Mine have always been snakes. I've enjoyed the snake side. Um, coming from Africa, I've got a chance to keep a lot of venomous. I've always enjoyed the venomous side, just again, because of the fear that's in people about them, mm -hmm. um, as well as how the venoms work, how they work on the body, how it affects the animals, why do they have it, why they're so different from each other and, uh, to fit in with the environments and the, the areas that they're living in and, and things like that. But uh, 
I've got to say, it's kind of now, the more I get to work with crocodilians and things, the, the, the big Nile crocs, I mean, they never seem to amaze me by going in there and seeing their reaction when you touch them or how they are learning and, and watching you every time you go in to clean a window or you're fixing a light bulb and they're sneaking up on you and their, their feet are coming up and when you stop to look at them, they don't put their feet back, they kind of leave them where they are and they, you, again, like Andrew says, you just feel like prey all the time out in there. You just, they're just waiting for that one wrong move yeah. and uh, that's it. So you got to, and I, to me, I think the crocodiles are probably my favorite, I must say now. Yeah, you know, after being here today and being as close as I was comfortable with, <laughs> even though Andre tried to feed me to the Crocs. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, he didn't. <laughs> being that close to him um, and never interacting with him, I I would tend to say I'm <laughs> yeah. really interested in crocodilians now. Yeah. That was that was a fascinating. The audience will see the videos. Yeah. But that was just amazing. It's just not knowing what they're going to do. They've got no facial expression, right? It's, yeah. That's it. And, and uh, you watch them, and is it going to do this? What's the strength behind them? Uh, how fast is it going to move if I did this? And what are my chances? I mean, with a snake, you kind of more or less get to know how they react. But with a crocodile, I mean, it sits there, sits there, sits there. And I mean, we saw today when we, we went to uh, just pull Nani's tail with a hook stick, how far she could turn around. And I mean, yeah. for an animal that weighs 700 pounds plus, I mean, she, she's pretty nimble. And, uh, <laughs> that's the interesting thing about it. Yeah, that was ninja nimble. <laughs> that, that was amazing. Um, now, just to wrap this up, you guys have a website. It's reptilia.org. That's right. Um, Give us the location just for our audience that doesn't have, you know, for whatever reason, internet access or something like that. Location of the zoo? Yeah. Oh, we're we're in Vaughan, Ontario. Okay. It's the city just north of, of Toronto. Okay. We're right around the corner from Canada's Wonderland and Vaughan Mills Mall. Awesome. It's a 25,000 square foot facility with everything from 4.3 meter crocs. It's about 14 feet for us. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, 1,000 pound crocodiles. Yeah, that <laughs> I still can't get over that crocodile. <laughs> oh man! So uh, Cheryl, uh, Andre, Lee, I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting the reptile apartment out here. Um, definitely a, a feather in the cap to cap off my trip to Canada. I mean, just you guys are just amazing. Oh, before we close this out, how does someone get a job here? <laughs> You're hired. All right. <laughs> Awesome. I won't be coming home. I'll be broadcasting from Canada from now on. Um, John, I think there's a, a lot of different ways that we, we kind of look at bringing people into it. It's uh, starting off from uh, an early age where kids have the opportunity to come in and volunteer um, and get that interest or do their co-op placement with us and see if this is something that they do want to pursue as a career and um, give them the real insight into what a zookeeper is all about. Not just standing there holding a snake around your neck talking to people, but the cleaning, the feeding, the maintaining and things like that. So it gives them a real in-depth uh, side to that. Um, also um, placements of uh, university students that are looking for um, placements to come in and do some more work with animals that they have to do. We have internships ranging from animal care in the zoo to curriculum work. So oh, wow. uh, yeah. there's a pretty broad range of, of opportunity here. Uh, now before all the applications. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was going to say, well, hold on now. There's also, you know, I'm first. always a limited number of jobs. So there is a certain amount of luck and a certain amount of being in the right place at the right time. Right. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to experience, learning, having an open mind, an eager mind, and a strong back. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we were talking about um, 
when I came in, and actually, uh, I think it was Cheryl that mentioned it, was all the water features in here, you know, because a lot of people have this viewpoint of, like Lee was talking about, like, you know, basically how I met you folks at the at the uh, CRB this past week, uh, you know, this is what zookeeping is all about. You stand around and talk about animals. I've got to have that job. Well, you've also got a 4,000 pond at your facility that you have to drain every single day, jump in with or without animals, depending on if the animal wants to cooperate, <laughs> you know, and scrub out the pond, rinse it all down, fill it back up again. Not to mention you've got, you know, how many water features, rough guess? Five big ones. Yeah. Five and big then, ones, um, and then all of the we've got fifty-two exhibits uh, throughout the zoo itself. Systems, we've got missing right. stuff right yeah. through the zoo, and you know, I mean, missing systems could get you know debris in there and get clotted. So it's yeah. you know, this isn't a walk in the park, as we say. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of windows to play. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I can imagine the windows after a fleet of school kids comes through here. There's a lot of faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, spaces yeah. and boogers and slobber. Yeah, that's uh, it. I think that should be the first primary job of any new keepers. You know, that's your job. You clean fingerprints and boogers off the windows. Yeah. You won't be surprised how amazing, how, what that makes, though, having clean glass. And, and we, we definitely strive to have that as, as clean as possible. Because oh, yeah. if you've got dirty glass, it just messes up the whole exhibit. You know, right. you have a great exhibit, but it's murky and misty and swamped up or oh, hands and greasy A lot of it is the feeling of just being as close as possible. Right. And the, the more we can have a naturalist exhibit feel, a naturalistic exhibit field, no nudist here. Um, and the, the more we can get the feel of just being there with the animals, the more we help the visitors connect to all the wild things around them, the, the, the better experience they come out with. So yeah. that's a lot of it, what it is for us, is, is giving people an experience they're not going to get anywhere else, and to have them leave knowing a bit more, understanding a bit more, and caring a bit more. That's now, is, is there any other reptile zoos in Canada at all? There are. There are actually quite a few that are dotted all around Canada. We actually have a number here in Ontario. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, I think our missions are all generally the same, just to make sure that people people learn and understand. You know, because the naturalistic thing you brought up was something I forgot to bring up earlier, which really intrigued me. We were walking by, I think it was the Clemens, or sorry, Spotted Turtle uh, exhibit, and the water was dark brown, and I knew what it was. And I had asked uh, Andre, you know, hey, Andre, how do you get the tannins in the water? You know, and you were explaining that we were going for a more naturalistic environment with all the animals. And then we saw the bog exhibit, which had the same. How did that all come about? Because you guys are now doing like entire enclosures with plants where particular animals involved. Also, you know, you're not going to put, you know, a thousand dollar fern in with an anaconda because it's not going to last long. <laughs> but in specific exhibits, you know, are you guys growing your own nursery, or is that something that's going to be coming on down the line? We're doing a little bit of both. We've got, uh, you know, we're trying to grow as many plants as we can on site, and we try to keep going. Our zookeepers are getting really good at taking care of plants. Uh, and zookeeper turned botanist overnight. Well, you know, <laughs> we we t we all wear a lot of hats here, so. Right. Uh, uh, we've, we've been trying to make it as naturalistic for the animals for a few reasons. It's not just appearance. You get a whole range of microhabitat, microclimate when you get the And new behaviors, in. I'm sure. And new behaviors. Uh, again, it does help the visitors connect just that much more. Right. Uh, and to be honest, 
it, I think it's a little more natural for the animals, and it seems to benefit them as well. So when we can, we're trying to get as far away from the old school concrete block enclosure as possible. Right. And you guys are, like I said, doing a wonderful job. I can't wait to, you know, get this interview up and get the photos and the videos that we shot today. Um, how would you like to close it out, folks? Well, we'd just like to say thanks, John, for uh, coming up and seeing the, the, the zoo, and it was great meeting you at the uh, CRB uh, Expo this year. And, uh, I mean, we met a lot of good people up there, uh, from the python hunters to yourself, and uh, <clears throat> giving us out there just to, to show people what we're really all about. Yeah, this, it, trust me, folks, uh, listening audience, if you are ever in Canada, you need to come see these guys. Just call, call up. Tell them John Taylor sent you, talk to Lee, Cheryl, or Andre. <laughs> They'll give you the whole behind. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they will talk to you, but they won't, you know, they won't. <laughs> make everyone's uh, visit here excited. Yeah. No matter what it takes, Very good. Good. Really good. You know, and speaking of excited, you guys even have a venomous enclosure where you guys work with the, uh, ven with, uh, Cheryl works with the venomous snakes yeah. and stuff like that directly through glass so kids and you know adults yeah. can see that kind of Our thing and that's just are all exposed so you get to see the whole food preparation process it gives people a better idea of what's involved there's no real you behind can the see scenes. how much yeah it's like there really is no behind is, the scenes it's front. For public we have no right. secrets this is how it works this is how it's done all the nitty-gritty stuff is right in front of you that's awesome i appreciate it it's being an excitement we're all pretty excited about this so. We've been listening to the podcast for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, uh, Cheryl, uh, that was the first email that I ever got uh, was to get this all organized. Was Cheryl emailed me that you guys actually listen to the podcast, and uh, yeah, that was that floored me. I got to tell you, I was like, "A reptiles in Canada listen to the podcast? <laughs> I have arrived!" Yes. <laughs> so to actually be sitting here with you folks is definitely an honor and appreciation. And Cheryl, definitely thank you again for inviting us out. It was, God, what a phenomenal trip this has been. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. Unless, of course, I go to, you know, with Lee up back to South Africa and start chasing cobras. That's, that's coming up. Okay, that's coming up next year. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Cheryl, any final words for you? I'll just thank you so much for coming. It's thank you. Time. Awesome. Andre? Yeah, uh, I, for a change, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. Uh, great people at the expo, great meeting, a great interview, and I'll be on Facebook in a few minutes posting all this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, awesome. if you do, if you are in the area, come on up. Uh, as we said, and Cheryl said, all our zookeepers would love to meet anybody coming. Uh, we enjoy meeting the people probably at least as much as they enjoy seeing the animals. So yeah, come on down and have fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's really easy to find. It's just reptilia.org. Uh, great website, you know, they got a YouTube videos uh, oh, from wow. us. And actually, the nice part is we get to see some of our visitors post YouTube videos and walkthroughs. And uh, check out our Facebook page, there's a lot of participation there, too. Definitely. If you're around for our Croc's birthday, it might not be, but uh, he's turned 50, so awesome. Looking forward to it. There you have folks. That was Andre No, Cheryl Sheridan, and Lee Parker from Reptilia Zoo. If you do get a chance, uh, check them out. Definitely, very definitely. If you're in the Canada area, would definitely, definitely recommend you check them out and uh, go see the wonderful exhibits, all the animals, and all the incredibleness that is the Reptilia Zoo. Tune in next week for another episode of the CRBE broadcast. <laughs>